And so we're connected to 80 plus different investment platform partners. And by the way, you can bring your own deal to the platform. And we enable transaction execution and document retention. And so we have taken a process in what I will refer to as this legacy self-directed IRA industry that could take up to eight to 10 weeks. And we have taken that down to just a number of days. And our goal is a number of minutes. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have on Eric Satz. Eric is a serial entrepreneur, early stage investor, and a firm believer in personal autonomy. When Eric discovered tax-advantaged retirement accounts could be used for long-term, high-return investments, he began investigating the process. But after his first investment took months instead of a couple minutes to complete, Eric knew that there was a better opportunity and a better way. That's why he started the company Alto, which is based in Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm super excited to have another Nashvillian on the, on the podcast here. And I'll just stop there and say, Eric, welcome to the show. Matt, thanks for having me. I'm going to have to write a shorter, shorter bio. It should just be, you know, founder and CEO of Alto lives in Nashville. Let's go. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Eric, we'd like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Uh, no one's ever asked me that question, by the way, on, on a business podcast before. So, so I really appreciate it. I also think it's too limiting. I don't, I don't think one should restrict the, restrict themselves to just one favorite ice cream. I mean, that's it. like we only get to live once. So why do that? I'm actually going to call out an ice cream scoop shop in Nashville, Tennessee called Jenny's. Obviously, it's in. Well, not obviously. I think a lot of people probably know, know Jenny's in different parts of the country. But I would say that my favorite Jenny's ice cream is probably brown butter almond brittle. Uh, she also does a seasonal, I think it's probably goat cheese and red cherries. And, and if you go to Jenny's, like you can't help but mix, right? Yeah. And so both of those first two are sort of vanilla based. And I think you mix that with a dark chocolate in a waffle cone and you can't go wrong. But depending on my mood, like graters out of Cincinnati, Ohio, the black raspberry chocolate chip, fucking chocolate chips. It's like, you know, they make their own chocolate and they cut it into, you know, like three inch pieces and they call that a chip. Uh, and I love that. I, I think we're going to get along perfect because I agree with everything you just said about mixing ice creams. And ironically enough, graters and Jenny have been mentioned several, several times. So if you're out there listening and you haven't tried either one of those, you got to go get them. I haven't had graters yet, but you're talking about the big chocolate chip. I'm already a fan. So the thing about graters is you used to have to fly it in, but now you can just go to Kroger yep. or, or, or Whole Foods. One or the other. I can't, I can't remember where I think both probably or Publix doesn't matter, but both have sort of spread their wings and are easily accessible today. Yeah. Now Jenny's doesn't do toppings. Does graters do toppings? can't remember because I've only been at a greater store once, which is where I first saw it. And then I started shipping it in and then I found it in the freezer aisle, which is way better. 
I, I like going to ice cream stores because I like standing in line and guessing what the people in front of me are going to order. I'm always <laughs> wrong, but it, it, it's really interesting. I love people watching. And so it's a really yeah. interesting event, let's say. Yeah. Are you like this schmuck right here? I already know they're going to get a strawberry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with an awesome strawberry, by the way. I'm yeah. just going to say uh, it's just not my go to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. Well, Eric, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? So as I mentioned at the, at the outset, I'm the founder and CEO of Alto IRA. And, you know, that's, that's my day job. Um, but what I do the rest of the time is I'm married to Kate and we've been married. We're almost 26 years now, you know, it, what, what do they say in the South? Like something, uh, uh, what's, what's the saying? I can't remember, but like, God bless her. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it, that that's not it, but I'm not really from the South. So, which sort of explains why I can't remember what the saying is. Um, you know, and I, I have, I have two kids, although it, it's getting harder and harder to, to call them kids, 23 and 21. Uh, I've got three dogs, one cat and, you know, like everybody else, we, we, watch Netflix and, uh, and Amazon prime and Hulu and all the other, uh, streaming services in this age of work from home, remote work, which hopefully is coming to an end here with the, with the pandemic. But mostly I now lead an organization of 150 people who are really dedicated and focused on enabling everyone to have access to alternative investment opportunities. These, uh, these assets that previously have sort of lived in a walled off garden and, and only accessible to the ultra high net worth or high net worth in, uh, individuals. And we are working really hard to make them accessible for everyone. And so that, that's what drives us. We're trying to shift the curve of uh, retirement fate here in this country so that come 2050, we don't have tens of millions of Americans uh, living in really dreadful circumstances. And so we're a mission-driven business. And that's why I get up in the morning. Yeah. I, I once heard you on a show that you want to take down Fidelity. You want to have that number one spot in terms of um, assets under management. But before we get there, what, what, ask, is there any other reason to do what you do other than to be number one? Because I'm not sure. I like it. I like it. I, before we get into um, kind of what you all offer over at Alto, you 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 cliffhang hung a story about your Nashville real estate uh, journey and that you had a, a, an interesting Nashville real estate story that I hope you can share with some of our listeners here. Sure. So, look, I... I I, I play in real estate. I'm, I'm not a professional real estate investor, although I am I am friends with some, but that's like saying, you know, I play a lawyer on TV or something like that. Uh, he, he, here's my knowledge of real estate. It, it's not when you sell, it's when you buy, yep. right? It's, it's, it's the price you pay that determines whether or not you're going to make money in real estate. It's, it's really not when you sell. And 
I think that's a, a hard lesson for a lot of people to understand or learn. And I think it was, I don't know, close to 10 years ago now when, and you're going to know this as, as someone who lives in, in Nashville, the 12 South neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a building right behind what is now a Taqueria del Sol. And um, it was the right time to buy. And we did some work to it and we turned it into an accelerator uh, of sorts and we called it the distillery. And um, a few years later, we got a price that we couldn't ignore and we sold it. Yep. And, yep. you know, sometimes it's just better to be lucky than good. Uh, sometimes it's good to be both. Um, but that, that's my Nashville real estate story. And anyone who's been here for a bachelorette or a bachelor party in the last five years has been to 12 South and has probably been to Taqueria del Sol. And it was, uh, if I could do more of those, I'd do them every day. (laughs) Yep. Yep. What year was that out of curiosity? So we bought probably in 2011, 12. Yep. Yep. And sold in, I think, 2015, 16. Yep. Is, is it right? And um, it was a great trade. And uh, again, I, I'm sort of always on the lookout for those. <laughs> yeah. I. It's funny you said the bachelor, bachelorette thing. I was downtown for the Preds game last night and um, went to Broadway to grab a drink afterwards, had a friend in town, and I forgot how many bachelorette parties are down there. It's a uh, it's well, it was experience. Thursday and it was Nashville yeah. and you were on Broadway. So yeah. by definition, there's going to be a bachelorette party yeah. uh, and go Preds, by the way. Heck so yeah. good, good win w. last night and they have a game tomorrow and we, we need to have a strong finish to the season here. Yeah. You know, Duchesne yep. and Forsberg were awesome last night. We need some yep. more of that. It's nice that Forsberg, Forsberg is in a contract year. Uh, he seems motivated. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. Uh, yeah. ho- hopefully I'll keep that up. I remember when I first moved to Nashville back in 2008, I went to a ton of Preds games and like hockey was still kind of this new thing to Nashville. And then one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in Nashville was 2017. We went to the Stanley cup. And it yep. was the same time as CMA Fest, which is our yep. big country music fest here in downtown. They blocked off all of Broadway. Man, there had to be 70,000 people down at Broadway. You couldn't even get cell service because they were- I was there people. too. It was nuts. It was nuts. But it was fun to see the city kind of succeed and have its little shining moment like that. It, it, it was awesome. And in fact, right before we got on this show, I was on Slack with the team. Um, what's interesting is- we only have 150 people, although we've grown from 20 something to 150 since March of 2020 when the pan- pandemic started. And so we're, we're now in 30 something states. We have people in 30 something states. So we actually have to have a Nashville Slack channel, even though we're headquartered uh, in Nashville. And so I, I, I can't go to the to the game tomorrow. So I was offering up the two tickets to anyone who who wanted them and few people were very close uh, in in order of response, uh, so long as the first person who responded hadn't yet received the tickets, they get them first. So Nice. Yeah. Nice. 
All right. Well, I want to shift now into Alto Investments and and first talk a little bit about the fact that folks can use their IRA, Roth IRAs, and retirement vehicles to invest in alternative assets. First of all, I just want to kind of keep it high level and have an educational uh, conversation here. How do they do that? What what? How do they take advantage of leveraging their retirement accounts to invest in alternative investments? So I think the very first thing to understand is that an Alto account, whether you're investing in so i think the first thing is to under is to define alternative assets right and and talk about what we mean there so i'm going to change where i was going and and start with the definition of alternative assets for us alternative assets are private equity venture capital i.e private company investment opportunities it could be uh artwork securitized collectibles, things like antique automobiles or Michael Jordan sneakers or baseball cards, uh, could be private credit, whether it's peer-to-peer lending or small business lending or accounts receivable financing, and it can be crypto. And so for us, those are the primary real estate, I forgot to mention, those are the, the primary alternative asset verticals or categories that we help investors access and invest in. The second thing is um, the role we play in this process. So we function both as your custodian and as the transaction platform or hub, which makes it possible to make these investments. So The role of custodian that we play is no different than the role that of Fidelity or Schwab or other major broker-dealer plays for you when you invest in public securities using your retirement accounts. The thing about an IRA account is you have to have a custodian, okay? I think the custodial role itself is largely commoditized. What's different about what we do is the platform that we built that sits on top of our custodial capability. And so we're connected to 80 plus different investment platform partners. And by the way, you can bring your own deal to the platform. And we enable transaction execution and document retention. And so uh, we have taken a process, you you. I guess, heard my story on some other podcasts. We have taken a a process in what I will refer to as this legacy self-directed IRA industry that could take up to eight to 10 weeks. And we have taken that down to just a number of days. And our goal is a number of minutes. And if you already have an account open with us, you literally can do it in a number of minutes. But if you're opening an account for the first time, that, that's going to end up taking a couple of days, depending upon who your transferring custodian is. And if, if you allow me, I'll just walk someone through uh, what it means to get set up. And so you come to Alto IRA, you open a new IRA account with us, and then uh, you transfer funds from an existing IRA account. There are no tax consequences, by the way, to doing any of this. It's all tax-free. Right. And so we'll help you transfer money from your existing custodian over to Alto. And then you're free to invest in the alternative asset that 
you are most interested in, I should say, assets that you're most interested in, the things that you care about, uh, the things that you believe have significant growth opportunities. And I think it's important to understand that we never suggest you invest all your money in one specific asset opportunity. What we're really trying to preach, and this is why we have a large number of asset categories and a large number of investment platform partners, is portfolio diversification. Because with diversification, you are lowering the volatility of your portfolio and increasing the overall returns over a longer period of time. You know, especially like the markets have taken a big dump over the last several weeks for reasons that are beyond, you know, anyone's control. We've got significant inflation on the way. And if all of your investments are in the public markets, well, you've just seen a pretty significant drop in your net worth. If instead some of that was invested in real estate or private company opportunities uh, or even crypto, those things are not only holding up better than the public markets, some of them are even rising, right? And so you maintain an opportunity to reduce volatility overall and to uh, increase the overall portfolio returns. Yeah, I think you answered one of the main questions I wanted to get across to listeners is like, why would they take their money out of their Fidelity account and move it into alternative investment? And it's really that. I've heard you say on the show, you know, look, there used to be 9,000 public companies. There's now a roughly around 4,000. And when you dig underneath the hood, there's really only 400 majorly publicly traded companies. And I, I'm uh, watching these finance shows that talk really, if you take out Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, there's only those three that are holding up the market right now. So if those three take a hit, everything in, the, in, in terms of an ETF just packages up those 400 investments. If those three take a hit, then everything is going to get hit. And I think we're starting to see that now as you're starting to see softness in Google, Microsoft, and Apple specifically. Um, what I'm gonna, you Matt, I'm going to I'm going to send you out on the road to to do my <laughs> to do my speaking engagements because you just got it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I I I, 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 I say what Matt says. <laughs> no, it's just funny that you. I heard you say that, and then I've been watching the markets overall. The S and P has taken a little bit of a hit, but it wasn't really until those three got nailed that you saw the S&P take a hit and you realize how much value they have in your traditional ETFs. If you believe in um, things returning towards the mean, okay, then what we can really expect in the public markets over the, ten, over the next 10 years is actually a slightly negative return. Over the next 20 years, it's maybe one to 2%. God forbid inflation stays the way it is today. I don't think it will. At least I, I, I hope it doesn't. But if you're earning one to 2% and inflation is anything 2% or above, you're losing you're money. Losing. Right. So you have to be invested other places. And, you know, the, the, the additional part of that story is that most companies are staying private longer and longer. So by the time they go public, the air is out of the balloon in terms of, you know, alpha returns. You have to get invested in those companies while they're still private. And that's what we're trying to enable and, uh, 
and and make affordable to to most people. Yeah, and it used to be to invest in those, you had to be a, a part of the New York Yale Economic Club and smoke cigars on Fridays and things like this. And to your point, they're starting to go public later at the stages where the the growth potential has already been squeezed out. And by the time you get an opportunity to invest in it, it could still grow, right? We're not saying that there's duds out there everywhere, but the big market movers have already happened. And one of the things that I like about your platform versus the other ones that I've seen is that you say, if you're interested in this, here are four companies out there that are doing private placements and private equity that you can use some of these funds to invest in. I'm not telling you you should do that. I'm not telling you which one of those four you should do, but here are four examples. And I've actually found some really great operators just by scanning through to see who you all are partnered with. Well, uh, I'm glad it works. <laughs> <laughs> um, what You mentioned a number of different alternative asset classes from sneakers to Michael Jordan cards, to crypto, to real estate. From my understanding, there are still some asset classes that are um, not allowed to be invested in from an IRA retirement standpoint. Can you highlight some of those that are still restricted from being invested in? So, so the ones that are restricted actually are collectibles or hobbies that are not securitized. So in other words, you can't go buy uh, an antique rug and put it on the floor in your house and say it's an investment. Nor can you just go buy uh, a Monet or Monet or Picasso or Banksy and hang it on your wall and say it's an investment. But what you can do is invest in a Banksy uh, on a securitized basis, have an, a fractionalized ownership interest uh, via our partner Masterworks um, and any other painting that that they are offering for investment purposes on, on that platform. And so the same holds true for uh, antique automobiles or, or baseball cards on uh, rally, for example. And um, but otherwise, you can pretty much invest in anything so long as you're not entering into what's referred to as a prohibited transaction. And prohibited transaction has lots of wrinkles that I'm not going to go into now. And, and besides, you're going to have to consult your tax advisor anyway uh, to, to make sure you're doing it. Or when you're investing on Alto, we ask you the necessary questions. And so long as uh, you answer both honestly and correctly, uh, you, you'll be able to make that investment. Yeah, you, um, you've mentioned a couple of different things here, and that's a good point about the securitization uh, part of it. I didn't, I've never heard that, but it kind of makes sense. Um, you're getting a chance to see all these different alternative investment and how securitization is opening up alternative investment for normal folks. Where do you see that trend going? And I know that's kind of a random question, but I bet you have some good insight there. I, I, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's random. And I think rather than calling it securitization, it, it may be easier for a lot of folks to just think of it as fractionalization. Right. Uh, which means I own a piece of something. And I think this is just the beginning of. Uh, pending explosion in investment in cultural assets. And more recently, public.com, as in more recently this week, 
public.com announced that they bought a company called Otis. And um, Otis is a platform for investment in cultural assets. And what I think public had, the, the executive team at, at public has recognized is that the future is in diversification and it is in making these uh, unique opportunities accessible to everyone. And I, so I really just think we're at the beginning of what is going to be a massive opportunity, which is, which is why Alto is here. Because if you look at the statistics, they're $15 trillion sitting in uh, IRA accounts. And that represents 90 plus percent of the investable savings in this country. And so if people can't access their IRA, not sure how they're going to make these investments. Yeah. And a simple way to kind of summarize this, if we're over um, a listener's head right now, is the fact that if you wanted to invest in a Picasso, you had to buy the whole Picasso. And now we're moving into a world where you can own a piece of a Picasso with other investors. And when that value of that painting goes up or down, then you'll get a share of that up or down on the on the particular payment. You know, the up or down is really important because so many people, especially over the last kind of 10-ish years, didn't know that the stock market could go down. Yep. Well, it can. Yep. And the cultural asset piece, I think, is going to be super interesting because um, of the baseball cards and investing in artists, music, and just different things like that as we continue to fractionalize and securitize and put everything on a blockchain. Um, I want to ask this question, though, is like, why doesn't Schwab or Fidelity or Vanguard, why are they not playing in the space today? You'd have to ask them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, another question that I have, and we'll, we'll cut that piece from it. Um, another question I want to ask. You know, you is, don't have to cut the piece. I asked them myself. I talked to yeah. them. I, 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 I talked to them, and um, you know, those businesses are of a completely different size and scale, and they have different risk profiles and different fiduciary responsibilities for for their clients. But what I want to point out is I think Fidelity is an amazing institution, by the way, mm -hmm. as is Schwab. And one of the stories that I, that I like to talk about is the fact that it wasn't until Schwab came along and created the quote unquote discount brokerage space at the bargain basement price of $49.99 a trade, right? Can you imagine $49.99 versus Robinhood zero? $49.99 was discount brokerage. And, and what Schwab's brilliance was to say, everybody can do this. You don't have to be wealthy and we'll help you learn and we'll teach. And that's what we're trying to accomplish and to do in the alternative assets sector, right? Is to say, you know what? You don't have to be an ultra high net worth individual to understand how to make these investments. Everyone can do it. It requires some work. You have to do your diligence. You have to do your homework. But you should be doing that for public market investments too. And so, yeah, look, I, I'm a big fan of both of those companies. Yeah. And yep. the longer they stay out of my space, the better. <laughs> yep. Yep.
And I think the diligence piece is key there, right? Like, again, from my investigation on the platform, you're not saying if you want to invest in private equity, here's your option. You're saying here's five different options out there. That's to right. Do your, your due diligence there. Um, I also understood just by kind of looking at the website that you have a couple of different ways people can set up um, their retirement accounts with you. It's the bring your own deal or invest with some of our partners. Can you talk about a little bit about the differences in those and then maybe like the fees associated with setting it up in, in those two different offerings? Sure. If you're, if you're working with our partners and only investing with our partners deals, then your account will cost you $100 a year, no matter how many assets you invest in. If you're bringing your own deal as well, then your account's going to cost you $250 a year. And those deals just end up requiring a little bit more handholding than, than the fully integrated and automated partner deals. And so we price accordingly. So basically, uh, we don't charge on, a, on an asset under management basis. I think that's highway robbery. We're, we're not asset managers. We're not providing asset management guidance or suggestions. We're not saying good, bad, or ugly. We're saying, here's how you can do it and we'll help you do it. And so you pay based on the services that you use from, from Alto and our platform and the technology we built. On the, on the crypto IRA side where we build a lot more technology and it's, um, it's not actually a lot more technology, it's different technology. And it's a 24 seven operation to support crypto activity. And um, so for that, we we charge a 1% buy or sell fee. It's very straightforward. No hidden charges, no, no additional charges, just the 1%. And then not in the crypto funds, do you charge a transactional fee? We do charge a transactional fee on the, on the standard IRA side, and that will range anywhere from $10 to $50 if you're using our various partners, $75 if you're, if you're bringing your own deal. So in the you know, sort of light of all eternity, small numbers. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's why I asked the question is because when I've investigated other self-directed IRA platforms out there, they usually have like a hundred to $150 transaction fee plus an AUM fee. And the more money you get in there, the fee goes down, but the more you're actually getting charged here. And so when I heard, or when I saw that you only charge a hundred dollars to $250 per year to operate this type of account, that is very, very minimal compared to your competitors out there that I've seen personally. I agree with you. <laughs> um, Why we you, started the business. You mentioned a comment earlier around inflation. And just because you're a guy that sees a lot of different things in the alternative space going on, I, I wanted to kind of ask the question. You said you, you didn't feel like we were going to be in this period for too long. What are you seeing out there that kind of gives you that um, perception or that, that, that thought process? I, I, I think I said, I hope we're not in it for too long. Um, you know, I'm not that smart to say just how long it's going to be, but I, I do think 2022 is going to be a tough year for a lot of folks. Yeah, I, I, I don't think this is I, I don't think this goes away tomorrow or next week or, or next month. I think we sort of got to buckle in here through through the rest of the year. And that's 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 just my take. But I'm not an economist and nobody's paying me to tell them 
you know, what inflation is going to do and what the Fed should do. It's 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 just intuition and hunch from, you know, being an old guy and, mm-hmm. and having seen having seen some cycles before. Yeah. And I know you're an intelligent person because you led with the I don't know what it's going to be because anybody that tries to tell you they know what it's going to be is lying or they're wrong. Well, right before we got on the show, my crystal ball dropped and the whole thing shattered. <laughs> and so I had the answer in there, but now I don't. No, I don't. Yeah. Well, I'll ship you a magic eight ball so you can have one. For Thank you. The next day. Yeah. Um, I also want to ask you a question of a, a person kind of running a company that's seen tremendous success and grown tremendously over the past uh, two years specifically. Um, but last I saw you all also raised a series B round. Um, when you said the, the, how are you thinking about hybrid work and work from home and what that's going to look like um, from your perspective? So this one I'll opine on. Okay. Uh, I, I do not think work from home and, and remote work is, is going away. I, I think that one is in for the long haul. And it, these, these are only anecdotal stories. So take them for what they're worth. I, I have had conversations with um, public company senior executives where they will, uh, for for various reasons, try to tell their engineering team that they need to come back to the office. And the unanimous response is no. Uh, and um, that that that's just not happening right so and and it's it's not just the engineers who are saying that a lot of people are saying that and there there was actually a um i i don't i can't remember whether it was a tweet yesterday or or a linkedin post and the ceo of another private company said i love it when our competitors tell their employees that they got to come back to work because now we get i mean we got to hire all those people we got our pick it's like having your pick of the litter. Uh, yeah. and, and so I do not think that's going away. Look, we have an office in, in downtown Nashville. Uh, at, at the time, we thought it was going to serve us for, you know, kind of three to five years. We were only 20 people when, when we signed up for, for this office build out. We thought it would hold 50 people. And um the 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 build out ended and the lease started in March 2020. Uh, you know, I I think we're now a company of 150, and I think the most people we've ever had in that office on one day is 40 because we brought in different teams from across the country to to build some chemistry in the barn, as I like to say, and. Um, you know, we do that on a quarterly basis. We bring the different teams in uh, to make sure that people can actually spend some time with the people that they're otherwise slacking and Zooming and emailing with uh, and actually get to build some of that uh, camaraderie because you can't replace being together in person, breaking bread, sharing a meal, having a drink, the water cooler stuff, you can try and replicate it with Slack, but there's only so much you can do. And 
I just don't think the I just don't think the work from home thing is going away. The other thing that you'll see us experiment with uh, later in the year is a four day work week. And so it, it's ridiculous that we have so much new technology available to us and we're still working the same way we've been working for the last hundred years. And so we've already eliminated internal meetings on Fridays. And um, we're now in the process of preparing to move our teams to a four-day work week. And so anyone listening, if you're interested in potentially joining a really innovative company, uh, especially if you're in product and engineering, we're hiring. Uh, and we really believe that if you let people focus their effort and their time and you don't bog them down with meetings all day long and you work with asynchronous technologies, well, then you can probably get done in, in you know, four days, what most of us are, are taking five days to do. And the theory is that it takes five days because that's what we require. I mean, how many people hate Sunday night? Yep. I actually think so many more people will be energized when Sunday night comes around if they had Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, you know, people are ready to go back to work when they get a three-day weekend. How about a three-day weekend every week? Yep. yep. Sounds good to me. Yeah, a couple of comments I want to make is um, one, I think that's great that you all are doing that because that allows your people to be creative and to not have those mundane things that there's task switching in between. And I thought today was going to be one of those days for me where I could be open and then boom, flood of calendar invites that were internal and probably not all the best use of time. And because of that, now that pushes that creativity and that growth down the line. So I'm, I'm interested to hear more about that and how that works. The second thing I'd say is we've got a technology audience out there. So I would encourage everyone to go look at Alto. I've just saw before here that you all were hiring some engineers and things like that. So if you're looking for remote work and a four-day work week, sounds like a great place to work. <laughs> and then last is um, I saw an article today by Goldman Sachs CEO is, has drawn the line in the sand. He said, we're coming back to the office. We're coming back to the office for five days. And I don't know if this was editorialized or not, but it said, and potentially more. So when you're in that investment banking world, like if you're not there on Saturday, then it's uh, probably not a good look for your career brand. And I just think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. He seems like a guy that's pretty in tune with the younger generation and has drawn a line in the sand as a demarcation point to say you're coming back into the office. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for him. I want to switch us now into our last round here. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what's a book you've read recently to that's given you a paradigm shift? So my favorite book is always the book I'm reading now <laughs> because it's the one that I can remember the title and the author. Yep. And, and, and it's also because I'm not nearly as well read as, as my wife, who is uh, just re reads a ton of books a year. Um, and every once in a while, she throws one at me and says, you have to read this, uh, which she did recently. And it was called The Sum of Us. And it's by Heather McGee. And it's about um, the problems with zero sum thinking and the long term effects of racism in this country, not just on uh, on 
black people and black society, but also on everybody else in this country. And I, th- I, I, I do believe that too many people, uh, not just in, in our country, but throughout the world, think that if somebody else is doing better, that they're doing worse. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the case. I think the goal is to increase the pie and therefore everyone's interest in it. Um, and, and Heather McGee is clearly a brilliant woman and an excellent writer. And um, so I'm really enjoying the Some of Us. I'm also reading Will by Will Smith. Um, and he is also a really good writer. And I just, I, I just love his story and his personality and how he owns the mistakes he's made. Uh, simply because none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. And he has clearly done a lot of work to, uh, to be as self-aware as he, as he is. And I think that's, I think that's something all of us need to do. Yeah. And, and he's such an optimist, optimistic, upbeat guy that I bet it's a pretty good read too. Oh, it is um, a good read. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the things you do every single day and the habits that you have. What are some of the things that you do every day? Uh, well, I work out. Um, I do Wordle now that didn't exist, but I do work. So kind of like whether it's crossword puzzle or, or, you know, these kind of little mental challenges and games. Um, I try to, the things that we do every day in terms of, Hey, you get dressed. I try not to always put my left pant leg on first. Sometimes I try to put my right pant leg on first. Uh, you know, sometimes I try to tie my right shoe and not my left shoe. And sometimes I try to, you know, use the soap in my left hand instead of my right hand. Um, it sort of rewires the brain and requires you to, to think differently and openly. I try to, um, well, I try to be self-aware. I try to have more patience. I try not to yell. I mean, I think I've only said fuck on this podcast once so far. Uh, and, you know, it's it's my favorite word. It's really versatile. Yeah. And um, I actually don't try to limit my use of it. It's just interesting <laughs> to me that I've now only said it twice. But I, yeah, eat, the, uh... I eat every day. <laughs> The, the brushing your teeth is an interesting, sometimes I try to do that and stand on one foot just to rewire my balance in, in mine. I, I agree that that's yeah. a really great one, by the way, brushing your teeth and standing on one foot. A, a lot harder than you would think too, right? hundred percent. hundred percent. Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? That, that, that's actually easy, uh, which is always tell the truth. It's never going to come back to haunt you. Uh, the truth is the truth. Period. End of story. It's simple, easy, actionable advice right there. Yeah. Our fourth one is, what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? Oh, my family. 
my kids, my marriage. Yeah, yeah. not my dogs. They bark way <laughs> too much. And um, I have to take, well, a lot of blame for that. Yeah. Uh, not, not enough time for the pet training, but yeah. my kids are independent thinkers. They challenge me all the time. Uh, as does my wife, um, always trying to be, always trying to be better, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. they don't let me get away with any shit whatsoever. So it's all good. I love it. I love it. Where our last one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? It would be my grandfather who passed away when I was very young. I want to know what the hell went on between he and my mom to make my mom the way she was. And uh, my mom is no longer with us. And, um, you know, I, I, I just. Yeah. I, I, I want to know what happened there. So yeah. I hope ice cream would, would, would engender or uh, whatever the word is, you know, get us to the truth. Yeah. I've got some questions. Was he down in Miami as well? I know you said you grew no, up in Miami. So, so they were in, my mom grew up in, in Maryland and Washington. Fantastic conversation. I appreciate you letting me ask some of the questions into inflation and how you're approaching work and things like that. I know that's kind of a little off script for the show and maybe not something you get asked on these types of interviews, but I I love hearing your perspective on things as you're seeing things evolve in the alternative space. But if our our listeners wanted to reach out to you or or learn more about Alto, where's the best place we could point them? Well, I think altoira.com is a great place to go. So just A-L-T-O-I-R-A.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, both are just Eric Sats. Very boring, um, but easy to follow and find. Uh, Sats, S-A-T-Z. For, and I spell my name with a C, not with a K. So uh, I wish I was big, strong, and Nordic, but I'm not. Perfect. Well, we'll leave all those links in the show notes and um, tremendous job building things over there at Alto. And we'll have to have you back on as you continue to grow. Matt, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.